If you're new, I'm Jamie, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and it is my privilege to invite you to point your Bible to Luke chapter 12. I'll have that on the screen for you, but um, if you have access to a Bible, there's one in, in provided for you in the pew in front of you. Um, I think it would be good for you to read along with us in God's holy word. Luke chapter 12, we work through books of the Bible here at Pickle Baptist because we believe the Bible is true, every word of it. That it is the final authority for what is right and true of our lives and is God's complete revelation of himself to us. Everything that we need to know about life and joy and peace, happiness is available to us there. And so to there we turn once again, picking up where we left off last week, working our way through Luke's gospel. So Luke chapter 12, we're going to begin reading at verse 22. If you're using one of the church Bibles, that's page 871 of the Black Bible. I'm going to read from verse 22 all the way down to verse 34. Pray for the Lord's help on our time together. And then work our way through this text together. In total, it should be around 45 minutes or so. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, but it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Our God and Father, may grace and peace be multiplied to us, your people, in the knowledge of you and of your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 
1820, 89% of the world lived in abject poverty. Today, less than 10% live in abject poverty. In 1820, 85% of the world was undernourished. But today, that's less than 9%. In 1800, 88% of the world was illiterate. And now, less than 14% are illiterate. 200 years ago, 43% of children died under the age of 5. But today, less than 4% do. Global life expectancy in 1800 was 35. Today, it's 73 worldwide. 200 years ago, if there was too little rain, you would fear not having enough food for the winter. But today, if there's too little rain, you're annoyed because you have to water your lawn. 200 years ago, if there was too much rain, then you'd also fear a poor harvest and you might not be able to feed your children. But in the industrialized West, this isn't much of a concern. Shortages in the grocery store aren't things that many of us worry that much about. Well, ever since the toilet paper shortage of 2020. If you could get into like a DeLorean with 1.21 gigawatts and go back in time a couple hundred years and live as the richest person in the world, there's a good chance that after a little bit of time, You'd hop right back into that DeLorean and come home. We just have it better now. The internal combustion engine and mass transit and instant communication and advances in food production and modern medicine and dental hygiene have improved human life in almost every conceivable category. And yet, at the same time, we've seen a huge rise in anxiety. It's literally off the charts. We are more stressed today than ever. 72% of adults report feeling stressed every single day. Anxiety and depression are the most common illnesses in the United States. One in five adults suffer anxiety and depression. Since 1990, Anxiety and depression levels have nearly tripled. But if we have it so much better, why are we so anxious? Well, Because it turns out that the cure for anxiety is not more stuff. It turns out that there's a little connection between what we have and don't have and actual happiness, and peace, and contentment. It seems like the more that we have, the more anxious we become. And so the passage before us today is just as relevant today as it was 200 years ago, or even 2,000 years ago, maybe even more so. The Lord Jesus tells us, do not be anxious about your life. And then he proceeds to show us how. 
And the Lord's medicine for anxiety is, well, shall we say, a little non-conventional. He prescribes bird watching and botany and rightly ordered priorities. So I take that to mean this. Apparently, some of us just need to get off of our phones and take a good long walk in the woods to look at the birds and the flowers and to see our Heavenly Father caring for them. Here's the big idea in this passage. Since God delights in giving his people the kingdom, seek the kingdom. And as my grandmother used to say, quit fussing about your life. We'll have three points to draw from this text. Number one is, do not worry about your life because God is your provider. Don't worry about your life. God is your provider. The second point to draw from this text is to seek the kingdom because God loves to give you the kingdom. Seek the thing that God loves to give you. And then third, generosity is the safe money. Invest in heaven. Generosity is the safe money. Invest in heaven. Let's have a look again at verse 22 and 23. As we consider not worrying about our life because God is our provider. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you're going to eat, don't be anxious about your body, what you're going to put on. He says, life is more than these things. It's more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Jesus starts our passage with the word, therefore, indicating that what he's about to say is connected in some way to what he has already said. And this passage builds upon the previous passage. It builds upon the parable that we considered last Lord's Day. There was a man with a bumper crop. He had so much from this crop that he didn't have any place to put all the crop. And so he decided that he would tear down the barns that he owned, build bigger barns. He would store his stuff in those barns so that he could retire, so that he could eat and drink and be merry. But then he died. Very sad. And the point of this passage was that when you die, you can't take anything with you. Oh, but you can send it on ahead of you. Be rich toward God by investing your life in God's kingdom, in the advance of God's gospel. The person who lays up treasure for themselves is not rich at all. Well, they're very poor. They've wasted their life. And one of the points that we failed to mention last week for the sake of time bears consideration today. It's something that we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have some time this afternoon, I would encourage you, read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You'll read in 1 Corinthians 3, there are going to be some people that make it to heaven who when they get there, suffer loss. There are going to be some people who when get to heaven, they suffer loss. When the final assessment of their life is revealed to them through God, they will see that the way that they spent their time and their talents and their treasures has been a complete loss. There is no value in what they have built for eternity. And they'll spend forever in glory. But with the knowledge that what they've built did not survive the fire of God's judgment. So that's 1 Corinthians 3. I would encourage you to look it up. Money and possessions 
are neither good, nor are they bad, and nor are they neutral. The Lord turns to his disciples and continues to rewrite the way they think about money and possessions. And he says to them, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. Don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. Because your life is more than these things. Don't be anxious. And that phrase in the original language appears in a particular form. It appears in the present imperative form, which tells us that anxiety is never something that should be a part of the Christian life. But let's be honest. Everyone worries. Everyone worries about something. Now, maybe you're not worried about whether or not Kroger's going to have enough bacon for you. Maybe you're not worried whether the Browns made the right choice in the pick. They didn't. They never do. But we do worry about things. We worry about our health. We worry about our children, our grandchildren. And so how can the Lord of glory, who knows us better than we know ourselves, say to us, don't be anxious about your life, when he knows everyone is anxious? Well, what is anxiety? If we can define anxiety, then I think we'll understand why the Lord says don't be anxious. Anxiety is an insecurity, a nervousness, that what we need won't be available to us when we need it. Anxiety is an insecurity that what we need won't be available to us when we need the thing that we need. So we worry about food, we worry about lodging, we worry about clothing, we worry about money, we worry about abilities, we worry about acceptance, we worry about lots of things. Some of the things that we worry about are material things. Some of the things that we worry about are immaterial things. And Jesus says that anxiety is simply unfitting for a Christian. And the reason is because who provides these things for us? God does. The reason anxiety is unfitting for a Christian is because God is the one who provides all these things. He provides food and lodging and clothing and money and abilities and acceptance. As one writer put it, anxiety puts a question mark where God has placed a period. How many of us have drawn a crooked little hook above the period at the end of one of God's promises? Anxiety is simply a weed that grows in the soil of unbelief. And according to verse 23, anxiety is a reduction of your life. And it's a reduction of your life in the same way that coveting is a reduction of your life. We saw that last Sunday. So you can notice the similarities between verse 23 and verse 15. Measuring your life by your possessions, whether it's the abundance of possessions or the absence of possessions, is a reduction of your life. Because life is more than these things. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Anxiety gives small things a big shadow. It makes little things into big things and big things into little things. It hears God promise, I will, period, and replies back to him, but will you, though? Question mark. 
Anxiety is unbelief, plain and simple. And according to verse 28, it is a lack of faith. And so the Lord tells us it has no place in the Christian life. And then the Lord mercifully gives us the cure. So let's keep reading. Verse 24 to 26. He says, consider the ravens. They don't sow and reap. They don't have storehouses and barns. Yet God feeds them. And of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by the way, by being anxious, can add even a single hour to his span of life? And if you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why be anxious about the rest? So he says, consider the ravens, not the football team, the bird. He says, consider the ravens. I've always thought it strange, the Lord's choice of bird here. Why a raven? Why not a songbird? Why not? A falcon or an eagle, right? Something soaring high above the circumstance, something nesting in the highest tree, swooping down to snatch up a fish out of the water. Why a raven? A raven doesn't conjure up strength and power. Like there's no American wearing a t-shirt with old glory blazoned across the front with a raven in the foreground, (laughs) These colors don't run. A raven is considered a dirty, ugly bird. It doesn't have an inspiring scream like an eagle. It it caws. Ravens were common birds in Jesus' day. They were scavengers, opportunists. They're the cousins of those crows at the zoo that just stand there watching you just out of arm's length waiting for your kid to drop their plate of $18 french fries. (laughs) That's who Jesus is talking about. And that's Jesus' point. They don't sow and reap. They don't build barns like the man in Jesus' parable. They don't invest. They don't have cryptocurrency. They're not losing sleep over any global financial crisis. And yet, God feeds them. Common, opportunistic scavengers that no one really cares that much about. Except maybe that convict in the Shawshank Redemption. And yet God feeds these birds. God feeds them. Now they still work. They still have to gather their food. So the Lord isn't telling us, no, guys, just sit around And the God of this universe, he'll just make food appear on your dinner table. That's that's not the case at all. Nobody's going to accuse a bird of being lazy. It's just that God makes sure that the ravens have what they need. It's a lesson in faith. If God feeds ugly crows, he's going to feed you. Because you're worth more. Besides... As verse 25 points out, what is the point of anxiety anyway? What good does it do? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then the Lord says, the most God thing like ever. He says, if then you're not, as a, you're not able to do as simple a thing as this, why are you anxious about the rest? 
as small a thing as this, as small a thing as like controlling cellular senescence and reversing the aging process, as small a thing as that, if you can't do that, why are you anxious? Life isn't like soccer. You don't get extra time at the end just because you screwed some stuff up during regulation, right? You get a certain number of days and that's it. You can't negotiate for more. Some of us just really need to spend some time with the Lord Jesus in verses 25 and 26. What good does it do worrying about something over which you have absolutely zero control? Worry feels every punch that never lands. Worry cries over every loss that never comes. It is simply wasteful. It is a waste of energy. It is a waste of resources. It's a thief stealing your time and your energy and your sleep and your patience. Anxiety is restlessness in the face of God who is rest. It's irritability in the face of God who is peace. It's crankiness in the face of God who is joy. It's discontentment in the face of God who is more than enough. And so it has no place in the life of a believer. And so after turning us all into bird watchers, the Lord Jesus now turns us all into botanists. Let's pick up reading in verse 27. Consider, same word, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today in the field, and then tomorrow it's thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So he's saying, stop looking at your situation and go stare at some flowers. Consider the lilies. That's unconventional medicine. I wonder how many clinicians are assigning floristics and a long walk in the woods as treatment for anxiety. Now, twice the Lord has used this word, consider. The word, just simple word that literally means set your mind on something, observe it. Which should tell us a little something about anxiety. Right? If the cure for anxiety is to consider something else, then that means that anxiety in some way is connected to what we're considering, what we're thinking. It's setting your mind on the wrong things. It's in your head. It's like acid reflux for the brain. And thinking about the right things is antacid. Which is why in Isaiah 26 it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So consider the lilies of the field. Think about how they grow. They just receive sunlight. They just soak in the rain. They just pull nutrients out of the soil. And what do they do? They just grow. They just do what lilies do. They get 
bigger and look pretty and smell nice and make seeds for more lilies. And then they die, having done everything that God made them to do. They don't toil. They don't spin. They're not worried about whether there's a prettier lily across the street. They aren't worried about who's running in the next election or about the Illuminati. Well, they're too busy basking in the sunlight and drinking in the rain and giving pollen to bees. And Jesus says, yet not even Solomon, King Solomon, in all of his glory, was dressed nearly as well as one of these. King Solomon lived in an expansive palace complex. He had herds of horses and chariots, more exotic animals than Jack Hanna, and a hundred times more money than Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk combined. And yet, not even Solomon was dressed as well as a flower. And if, if this God so clothes the grass, which after it dies becomes kindling for fire, how much more will he clothe you? And here's the point. You're worth more than grass. You're worth more than ugly birds who can't sing. So work hard and trust that God will provide. Bask under the sunlight of God's good provision. Drink in the rain of God's good grace. Draw in the spiritual nutrients from God's good word and just grow. Grow in Christ-likeness. Grow in humility. Grow in peace. Grow in joy. And quit fussing. There's no reason to worry. God is your provider. So Christian, you don't need to worry about where your next meal is going to come from. And you don't need to worry about where your next client is going to come from. And you don't need to worry about where next month's rent is going to come from. You concern yourself with the kingdom of God. You be faithful with what the Lord has given you. You work hard and you leave everything else to the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do next. Seek the kingdom because God loves to give it to you. Seek the kingdom. Because God loves to give it to you. Verse 29 down to 32. He says, don't seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, and don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you. The kingdom. Here again, the Lord is stressing and addressing our thought life. The word seek appears three times. It means to give attention to something. And he's saying, give attention to the right things, not the wrong things. Don't set your mind. Don't focus all your attention on food and drink. Well, the world is obsessed with these things. And you're not of the world. But if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that Jesus is talking about you. Food and drink here means more than like coffee and donuts. It's an umbrella term that means all the things pertaining to this life, material things. 
So my unbelieving friend, listen to what your creator is saying to you. You've been looking at your life all wrong. You've been spending your days concerned with the acquisition of consumables. Things that can be spent on yourself. You've been making your life too small. Your life is more than having money and toys and good food and grand vacations and people who respect you. Your life is more than what you consume. And by making these things the goals of your life, you have reduced your life. More than that, sinner, you are wasting your life. If you are not seeking God in his kingdom, the stark reality is you're wasting your life. In a moment, I'm going to explain what Jesus means by seeking God's kingdom. But if you find yourself seeking more of your own kingdom than God's kingdom, then friend, you're not a Christian. If you find yourself delighting in getting what you want out of your life more than, what, than God getting what he deserves from your life, well, you're just not a Christian. You're headed for eternity under the judgment of God. So sinner, turn to Jesus Christ for mercy. Do that today. His life, his death, his resurrection have secured a place in heaven for all who turn to him in faith. Spending your life on Jesus Christ is the only way to guarantee that it won't be lost or wasted. Do that today. Before you leave this building today, tell someone you'd like to become a Christian. Take one of those black Bibles home with you and read the rest of Luke's gospel. Come back next Sunday morning, 1045. We'll tell you more about this life of peace and joy and satisfaction that is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. The reason Jesus says that we don't need to set our goals around food and drink and material things is because God knows that you need them. Who made your body? Who knows how it works? Well, he does. He's going to take care of you. God is your father, brother, and sister. He gave his son to save you from your sin. And if he was willing to pay a price such as that, if his goal out of your life is worth the life of his son, do you think he's going to forget to provide for you? No, strike it from your mind. God never forgets, nor is he ever sloppy. He knows exactly what you need. But Jesus says more than that, doesn't he? Not only does God know what you need, he loves to give you what you need. Verse 31 is a command and it's a promise. It is a promise that drives the command. Seek the kingdom. That's the command. And these things will be added to you. That's the promise. So what are these things? Well, it's all the things in verse 29. It's food, drink, things pertaining to this life. So why again do we worry? We worry because we don't actually believe that God will be good on his promise. Jesus says, these things will be added to you. There's a period at the end of verse 31. Throw your pen away. Do not write a squiggly line above that period. These things will 
be added to you. And that promise is backed up by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So seek the kingdom. What what does he mean? What does Jesus mean, seek the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God refers to several things, but most basically, it refers to God's kingly rule, his reign, his sovereign governance. That God has come in and through Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. First in the heart of his people, triumphing over sin, over Satan, over death. And then by gathering a people to himself, the church, his people live as citizens of his kingdom, expressing their allegiance to him and how they live and love and give and serve. Later in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says this about the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. So so people won't say, look, there it is. No, it's over here. Jesus says, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. God's kingdom is his saving power to rule and reign over the hearts and lives of his people. And as they grow in him and proclaim his gospel, more and more people are added to his kingdom. And as his glory emanates through their lives into the world, his kingdom grows. His kingdom has come. His kingdom is coming and his kingdom will be consummated when Jesus returns. And Jesus says, seek that. Set your mind on that. Prioritize that. Leverage your life for that. And when you do, dear Christian, all your other needs will be met. Because your father loves to give you the kingdom. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's like that dad who just loves giving his kids gifts. He just loves this his favorite thing. You see, God will meet all of your needs so that you might be able to serve the advance of his gospel. You need food so that you can live and grow in holiness and delight in the Lord and make disciples. So God gives you food. You need clothing so that you can work and serve others in joy and proclaim the excellencies of Christ. So he gives you clothes. You need money so you can feed yourself and feed your family and feed those who depended upon you. So that you can raise your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord so you can give to the mission of God through the church. And so God gives you money. Seek the kingdom. God loves to give it to you. It serves the glory of his son in the salvation of the lost and the accomplishment of his purposes in the earth. Spend yourself on this. And let me make a promise to you. Nothing that you spend on his sake will ever be wasted. Ever. No, much to the contrary. Everything that you spend on Christ will be stored up as treasure in heaven. Which brings us to our final point. And this is where we'll close. Verses 33 and 34. Generosity is the only safe money. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, 
where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see what the Lord is doing here? He's weaning his people off of their attachment to material things of this world. He's teaching us to take hold of what is actual treasure. Real treasure. Which he describes as ageless, unfailing, safe, and indestructible. One wonders whether or not the Apostle Peter was thinking of this when he wrote in 1 Peter 1, that God has an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you. So PBC, invest in heaven. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Since everything that you have comes from the Lord and everything you, has, you have has been, is meant to be leveraged for the glory of the Lord, you're never going to run out. If everything comes from the Lord and everything's supposed to be leveraged for the glory of the Lord, and that's his purpose for your life, you'll never run out. You're free to give generously to those who are in need. You're free to spend your time and your talents and your treasure on the glory of Christ. How differently would your lives be if you thought about your time and your talents and treasure from this perspective? What if you thought about your life less like a bucket and more like a funnel? What if my wages and my investments and my properties and my retirement isn't really mine at all? What if those things were given to me to be funneled into God's kingdom? Well, the implication of this passage is that if you view your life as a bucket, you will always struggle with anxiety. And you should. But if you view your life as a funnel, as a channel through which God funds his kingdom, you'll never have to worry about having enough. Since everything comes from God, everything goes back to God, everything is for God's glory, then your job is simply to be faithful with what he has provided and to delight yourself in him, to bask under the sunlight of God's grace, to draw nutrients out of his word and grow, to spend and be spent for his sake. Christian, investing and divesting yourself in the kingdom is the only safe money. Because doing so provides you with money bags, investment accounts that don't shrink. They are impervious to economic downturns. Investing and divesting in the kingdom provides you a treasure that will never lose its value. It cannot be stolen. It is not subject to rot. Generosity is the only safe money. And so Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And remember what we said last week. Whenever we're talking about money, we are not talking about dollars and cents. This is never a matter of dollars and cents. This is always a matter of the heart. Your calendar and your spending habits tell more about your spiritual convictions than even your profession of faith. So where is your treasure? Are you seeking God's kingdom? Are you leveraging your life for the advance of his gospel, the proclamation of Christ? 
I'll take advice from my grandmother and quit fussing. Because God will always provide your needs. You don't need to be anxious about your life. Jesus went to the cross dressed in the filthy robes of your sin. And by faith, you've been dressed in the spotless robes of his righteousness. You've been united to Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so you can give and you can serve and you can do and you can laugh and you can rejoice and you can play in absolute freedom that all you need is guaranteed to you by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to ever put a question mark over any one of God's periods. You can play. You can enjoy your life. You can listen to good music. You can learn a new language. You can watch a good movie. You can read a good book. You can eat good food. You can take unhurried walks in the woods. You can look at the flowers up close and see how your father has dressed them. You can look at the birds in the trees and see how your father has fed them. You can rest and you can rejoice in the God who values you more than he values them. You can reorder your priorities and you can seek the kingdom. You can spend and be spent on discipling someone else. You can look for ways to build other up. You can acquire the beautiful language of encouragement. You can pray with us on Tuesday nights. You can evangelize the lost. You can live under your means and give above your pay grade. You can loosen your grip on the things of this world and you can take hold of that which is truly life. You can spend and be spent on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be anxious about your life. It belongs to him and he knows what he's doing. You're going to be okay. Let's pray. Father, would you please receive our thanks? For you are a good provider. You have sustained our lives to this point. You've provided beyond anything we deserve. And Lord, we thank you. And Father, we confess to short memories. We forget your hand of provision. We worry. We despair in situations of uncertainty. And Father, we have concerned ourselves with all the wrong things. We've not sought your kingdom. We've sought our kingdom. In this we have sinned. Please forgive us. And by your Holy Spirit, make us a selfless, sacrificial, relentlessly generous people. Give us a better understanding of money and possessions. Give us faith to believe in Jesus. And may we truly believe, may we truly believe that when we seek your kingdom, these things will be added to us. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. At the end of our services, we go to the Lord having confessed our sins seeking a word from him that he has forgiven us of our sins. So if you're trusting in Jesus Christ today, what we're about to read is an assurance that your Father in heaven has forgiven you of your sins. Your assurance of pardon today comes from 1 John chapter 1, where we read, I apologize, the slide is wrong, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin.